Welcome to the Morph Business and Leadership Podcast. Today we have another special guest, Matthew Victoria. He is going to be talking to us about equity strategy, particularly in real estate. So I am so excited. He has taught me so much already just through um, our temporary relationship that is definitely permanent. He's not going anywhere. It's in the beginning <laughs> stages. Matthew, can you tell our guest um, about what you do and how you do it and how long you've been doing it? Just give us the breakdown. Oh, that's a big question. Mm. Uh, I like to think of myself as a financial creative, uh, uh, excuse me, a creative financial specialist. So this way people don't, people never know what they know, what they never know. So for me, I do mortgages, but really what it is, is how do we help you get what you want? That's one of the questions that I ask people. Do you want to invest? Do you want to become a landlord? Do you want to own multiple properties? I've been doing this now. I'm a branch manager with American Financial. I've been doing this now for over 10 years. I got my license in 2012. Nice. So I've been around the block for a little bit. I used to be a mechanic before this. So it, it really taught me like how to look at things and reverse engineer and how to fix problems and be creative with that way. Because I used to fix cars, equipment on the road. So if you're on the road, you don't have anybody to just go to. You got to do it yourself and you got to be creative and you have to think about how, am I, how how can I get this done? So that's what I do. So I help both investors. I help people that want to buy primary residences, people that want to buy second homes. I encompass all of this. So it's between purchases, refinances, and then we can use them as tools to help leverage for real estate. A lot of times people think, oh, I'm going to buy this house in cash. But really, would you rather buy one house in cash or would you rather mortgage and buy three? Right. Those are the questions that I really like to ask people and kind of dig to. Okay. So tell me this. So if somebody comes to you and say, cause I do have a few people that say, Oh, I just want to buy my house cash. I don't want any, um, don't know uh, any liabilities. They look at a mortgage as a liability. So then they kind of like think that a house becomes a liability rather than an asset. What would you say to someone who says, now I'm adamant about buying everything in cash, cash, cash. Can, how would you explain to them how they can use that cash? Like what could they buy with Give us an example. Well, it, it's always funny that people want to buy their houses in cash, but then yet they have credit cards and they have car loans, which that's bad debt. Right? Okay. A mortgage is one of the only good debts. Why? Because you can use it to acquire assets by putting down a little and mortgaging the rest, right? Your interest is tax deductible, right? So if you have a primary residence, you get to write off the interest. Okay. If you own an investment property, you as a business get to write off the interest. Okay. Right. So you're let's say your mortgage is nine percent. Well, you're not really paying nine percent because you're getting some of that back. Not all of it, but you're getting some of it back. Okay. Right? Because we know in real estate there's four ways of making money. Okay. Right. You have rent roll, which is the money that you make on the rent every month. That's your surplus. Right? Okay. You have appreciation, which means the house becomes worth more. Right. You have um principal reduction which means that you every month you pay down your mortgage, you have more equity in your house. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And then the last one is depreciation, which a lot of people overlook. Okay. So your depreciation is what you get to write off on your taxes. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not about what we make. It's about what we keep. Right. 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 I love that. So now with um, so let's say I come to you and I say, all right, because now a lot of people are trying to get into the investment realm and the interest rates are higher than usual from what we're used to. Correct. Um, I know 
a while ago, not a while ago, a couple weeks ago, I was in a training and um, there was another uh, guy there. He was in the industry that you're in for about 40 years. And he was explaining to me or us as a class that this is kind of new, that 10 years where the interest rates were like astronomically low is kind of new. Mm-hmm. And that prior to 2008, interest rates were fairly higher than what they are now. And so now like young investors like me are like, oh, I don't, I, I'm at a standstill. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait because I don't want a high interest rate. I have a 5% or I have a 3% or, you know, so what, how, how would you, um, how, what would you recommend to young new investors like me as far as like moving now and caring about the interest rates? What would you suggest? The interest rate is irrelevant. I, I know that's kind of like a mind-blowing thing, right? Because it's very hard to wrap your head around because we're trained to look at that, right? The first question most people normally ask is, oh, what's my rate, right? If you're buying a car, what do you look at? When you go in and you go to buy a car, right? And you're sitting down and you're doing your negotiating, right? What are you looking at? Mm. Just think about this for a second. You as a person, when you go in to do it, is the first question out of your mouth, what's my rate? No. What's the first, what's the question? What are you looking at? What's my payment? Ah, now if we shift to what's my payment. Got it. Right. That's where the rate question becomes irrelevant because interest rates go up, interest rates go down. Right. We got spoiled in low rates. Come on. Tell us. We got spoiled. Now think about this for a second, right? In the late eighties, early nineties, what were interest rates? 20%. Yes. This is what he was saying. I was shocked. And people were happy to get that. Right. My and parents' salaries were lower at the time. Right. My parents were happy to get that. I remember my father talking about getting a 21% interest rate, and it was an adjustable mortgage. So it wasn't a 30-year fixed. Mm. Right? So I refinanced an investor of mine. He did a cash out refi. We closed him a year and a half ago at four and a quarter. Okay. That same cash out now would be about eight and a half. Right. Okay. But remember something, right? Are rates always going to stay the same? Mm-mm. So if you're going to wait to buy a house, what is happening to real estate every year? It's going up. Right. So if you wait to buy that house, now you're going to be looking at a higher value dollar house next year. Yep. Right. But what if rates go down? Right. So what if you buy that house now, you're getting the appreciation in the house, right? And let's say you're breaking even on your rent roll, right? But you're still getting your depreciation because a lot of people don't realize the benefit of tax returns, mm-hmm. right? They don't realize that depreciation is something that they get a, a freebie. Mm-hmm. And when I see tax returns, it's because the Schedule E, which is what you use for your yes. when you're doing a multifamily, right? Yes. Your Schedule E is the business. Right. right? Oh, he knows his stuff. Right. I'm telling you. Well, part of what I have to do is <laughs> analyze tax returns. And I don't know all the rules and laws and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I know how income works. Yes. Right. So what we look at is we look at a net number, right? And we get to add back in depreciation. Right, we get to add back in interest, taxes, things like that, homeowners insurance. So we actually get to add that back to the the rental income that's coming in on a property. Mm. So people don't know that. Just like when we're looking at self-employed, right? Yes. We get to add back two things. We get to add back mileage, and we get to add back depreciation. Mm-hmm. So when I see somebody who's a contractor and owns a ton of equipment, and I see zero on depreciation, they're they're missing the boat. Wow. So these are just some of the little things. So back to your original question, the rate is irrelevant. The rate is irrelevant. Is this house going to appreciate, right? Am I going to make money on this house at some point in the future? 
if you if the answer is yes to those, the rate doesn't matter because rates will go down. And when rates go down, you refinance. But at least you get in now and you get the benefit of the property of having that asset that's an appreciating asset. And then when the rates drop, now you're really getting the benefit because now your your month your mortgage rate dropped. Right. So when somebody talks about buying a house in cash, why? Right? Rich people get rich with real estate with mortgages. Thank you. That's how they do it. Thank you. They leverage, mm-hmm. right? Leveraging is all about using a small force to move something big. Mm, amazing. Right? So if you're doing 20% down on a piece of property and you're financing 80%, what can you now do? You can now go and put money down on other properties and acquire three, probably for that same one that you want to buy in cash. Amazing. I think a lot of um, people are just not knowledgeable. And so I like to, it's true. The saying ignorance is bliss is true, but it's like, how bliss is it? Because when you get to a place where you're stuck and now you're 40 years old, you have no assets. And then you say, Oh, I'm ready to start a business. Cause you know, I help business owners all the time. I'm ready to start a business or, Oh, I want to take off in real estate. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, well, do you own a house? Do you have equity and your strategies, your, the wording that you're using about leverage and everything like that. I think people just need to educate themselves more or come to a professional like Matthew Victoria. You need to go see him. Go to Matthew Victoria and find out, like, how can we use the equity you currently have in your home? Even now I'm I'm working with uh, my insurance agent. She got me some sort of policy where uh, I think I don't even want to say the words wrong. But basically, when the market tanks, I'm not affected. It will be leveled out. But after one year of me paying into my insurance policy, she said, now I can take out some of my debt benefit. Yeah, she was saying take out some of the death benefit and and now put some of that cash on a real estate property because I told her what I want to do. And I think often people just get stuck. Um, so can you give us a time where you had challenges in your industry? Well, <laughs> right now is definitely one of them. I know, right? <laughs> you know, COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of different people. Okay. You know, and rates went down. And now rates have gone up because of inflation. You know, a lot of the inflation numbers that we see is because of the COVID stimulus money that they were pumping into the economy, right? So that caused rates to go up too because of the inflation. So there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, I've been doing this now for over 10 years and we've had some times like this, but this is a unique situation right now because you've got a lack of inventory, right? You have people competing for houses because you have people that are working from home and then they say, oh, I need to buy a house, right? Do you know what the interest rate is on rent? There's no interest rate on rent, is well, it? The interest rate on rent is 100%. Okay. Right? The reason why is because zero of that goes to any benefit. You can't write it off on your taxes. There you go. Right? Okay. You get nothing out of it. You don't own anything out of it. The only person that gets any benefit out of it is the owner of the house, right? So True. if you're renting, your, rent, your interest rate is 100%. Got it. Right. So I would take an 8% interest rate that's tax deductible on something that I'm owning any day of the week over a rental. Mm -hmm. So you have all of this and it's created a perfect storm. Right. So now people, buyers are not, we're, we're slower because they can't get offers accepted or people are getting scared and they say, oh, you know what? I'm going to wait till next year until the rates come down. Well, guess what? The rates may not come down, but I will tell you this, guess what's going to go up? The price of that house. Yes. Right. 
Yes. I had somebody that came to me about three years ago and she said, all right, well, you know what? I'm thinking about buying. So then she said, you know what? I'm going to wait. So she came back the next year, right? The next year now houses were $50,000 higher and the rates at that time were about a quarter percent higher. Then she said, you know what? I'm still not, I'm still not ready yet. So she waits the next year. Right? Now you used to be able to, the first time home buyer market used to be about two to $300,000, right? Now you're at three to four minimum, right? So now those houses were $75,000 higher and the rate went up, right? But at least if you buy now, you secure your position. Yes. You get your house at what it is now. Mm-hmm. I bought my house in 21. My house is now worth $160,000 more. Right. Right. Without really doing anything, $160,000 more. I closed in June of 21. Mm. So I wound up securing my position, and a lot of people are not doing that. They're waiting. The best time to buy is whenever you're ready to buy. I think a lot of people expect for the housing market to go back down, too. Like, financially, like they're saying, um, you know, and it's just people. This is people, but I keep reiterating to people that I come in contact with and say, listen, you think that that $800,000 house that used to be 400,000 in 2019 is going to go back to 400,000. That's not how real estate works. And so to really get it into everybody's head, it's time to buy. Like, don't be so afraid. Take big risk, because if you're going to become, um, you know, big in real estate, you have to take the risk. Um, I was going to ask you a question. I want you to, um, if you can, because you, you've taught me so much, try to break down a couple products that can be used as leverage and for investing. Sure. So first off, anybody that's renting really should buy. Okay. Right. So I see this all the time, you know, just talk to somebody and say, well, I'm thinking I'm going to wait a year and get everything secure. Yeah, but why don't you buy now? Even if you wind up moving, you can now turn that into an investment property, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So you buy a multifamily. Multifamily has a rent coming in. Mm -hmm. So this way you practically live for free. And what a lot of people don't look at is they don't look at what they were spending on rent now goes back into their pocket, right? So if they're spending $2,000 a month on rent and their mortgage goes up, right? But they've got money coming in, they saved that $2,000 in rent, Mm -hmm. right? So that's for our first time home buyers, Okay. Another one is for people who are self-employed, they generally don't show a lot of money on the books. Right. I'm sure you've seen that before yes. because this is what you do, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So I have somebody right now, he owns a house. It's up in North Jersey in Bergen County someplace. He owes about 400 on the house. Okay. The house is worth a million dollars. What? Right. Now, most people, you go to a bank or you go to a lender like me and say, hey, I want to do a conventional loan on this. Mm-hmm. What's your income look like? $20,000 in declared income is not going to get you a refinance, no. right? So we have a special product. It's called a no-income loan, Okay. right? So all we're basing it on is credit and assets. And if you have the house, the house is the asset, right? So as long as you have a 660 FICO score and up, what? then you're good. That was one I'm of my serious. questions. That was one of my next questions. Yeah, I'm serious. So we have a guy right now, he, he's got an EAD card, which is an employment authorization, right? So he's not even, he doesn't have a green card, right? He makes $1,500 a month in, in Social Security. He's going to be doing a reverse mortgage down the road, but he needed the money now because he went and took a, a private loan from somebody that's a balloon loan. It's a one-year oh, wow. interest-only balloon loan, and it comes due in November. So we're doing a cash-out refinance for him right now. The rate is about 2% higher what you would normally pay on a regular loan, right? Okay. So his rate's like nine and a quarter. Okay. I'm not collecting any taxes, W-2s. I'm not ordering any tax transcripts. 
there is zero rental or income verification. Yes. And we're doing a cash out for him. That's amazing. Right? So now my other guy, he 400,000 he owes. The house is worth a million. He's an investor. Right? So we can go up to 70% of the appraised value of the house. Right? So he's going to cash out $300,000. And he's going to go use that now to go buy another property. Or probably two properties at that point. Because he can leverage his money and use those. Right? Now, for people who are investors, we also have no document loans. Okay. So our loans for investors are purely based on the rental income of the property. They're called DSCR, which is debt service coverage ratio, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you could put down 20% on a one to four unit. Now, mind you, if you're going to go and try and do a conventional loan, they're going to want profit and loss statements. They're going to want to see leases. This is literally, these are the documents that I need. I need a current mortgage statement. I need a driver's license. I need your LLC documents. And if you're buying, I need one bank statement. That's it. That's that's all I'm getting. Are you serious? Yeah. And if you're going to do a cash out, I need the leases on the property and your current homeowner's insurance. Okay. That's it. Mm-hmm. And we're not verifying anything other than that. that so we're going to order an appraisal on the property and we're not collecting any, any income documents. So if you own a property you bought in cash, mm-hmm. you should go turn around and pull the money out and go buy another house or two with the debt service loan. Right. Or if you have a primary, equity... It is only good in a house if you're going to do something with it, right? If you're not going to do something with it, it just sits there. It's like having money in a piggy bank and never opening the piggy bank. Mm. What can you do with that? Nothing unless you actually use it. So if you have equity in a property, pull it out, go buy yourself something. Because remember, what's going to happen? It's going to appreciate. It's going to become worth more. You're now going to, in 10 years, what's that place going to have for you? Right. How do you feel about, um, I don't know if you do anything like with this, but equity lines of credit, how do you feel about those? So equity lines of credit are a different situation, right? So nobody's really doing equity lines of credit on investment properties now. Okay. Right. And what a lot of people don't realize is that as of 2018, you know what happened to that, right? No. Oh, so they changed the tax codes in 2018 for equity lines of credit. Okay. Right. So you no longer can deduct it on your taxes. Unless you're using it for home improvements. Oh, wow. Right? That's it. You can't, it's not, it, they don't la- allow you the duck deduction anymore for the mortgage. Okay. For the interest. Got it. Okay. So it is better to go with one of the strategies that you mentioned. Cause I know, so, you know, in my field of work, working with the bankers and, you know, working with all these different financial innovations that we do. Um, a lot of clients are coming to me for real estate saying, I want lines of credit. I want lines of credit. And I'm like, you may need to talk to one of our loan officers that we work with or something like that because you're, you, we don't know what can happen with that. So now that those tax laws and you brought that to my attention, that's big. That's just one piece of it. That's just one piece of it. So the other piece of it is that you're paying double interest. Mm. Right? So right now rates yeah. on hec- equity lines are like 7%. You know, Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's only on what you take out. Right. But remember something, right? It's an interest only loan. Right. So you're never really paying the principal. You're paying your interest payments. Right. Wow. And then the other one is if you did a cash out refinance and you took out your money that you have now, right? Mm -hmm. What you could always do is you can park it someplace. If you have a financial planner that you work with, you can always park it someplace that's going to give you a five to 10% return, Mm -hmm. you know, and make sure that it's liquid. This way it's covering itself because. Remember, you get to deduct the interest on your tax returns because it's a primary mortgage. 
Wow. This is a lot of information, a lot of information. And I do have another question, by the way. I wanted you, I know you taught me something before this podcast today. You taught me something about, um, I brought to your attention a seller second with one of my clients. Mm -hmm. And you said there's no, there, there are some banks that still do seller seconds, but um, you mentioned something else when it came to family. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, so you mean if you're buying a property from a family member? Yes. So family members, you're allowed to give a gift of equity. That's it right there. Right. So the gift of equity is actually equity in the property, right? Now you can do this for primary residences, right? And Fannie and Freddie will not allow it on conventional loans for investment properties. Okay. I have a few investors that actually don't care. They will allow you to get a gift from a family member for an investment property. They will allow you to do a gift of equity, right? So if you're doing an 80%, say you're doing a 20% down payment, what happens is that 20% stays in the property. So the equity stays there, but they're saying, hey, we're good because we've got that 20% equity position. We feel comfortable with it because that's really what lending is. Lending is risk-based. Yeah. You know, when people say, why is my interest rate so high? Well, look at your credit score. If you've got a 600 FICO score, you, you, you're gonna, your rate's not going to be as good, mm -hmm. or they may want reserves or things like that to make them feel more comfortable. Okay. It's all risk-based. <clears throat> but a gift of equity is something that family members can do, and a lot of people don't understand that. Like, if you're going to sell your house to your kids, you can go and do a gift of equity. There's other ways of doing it that are actually even more creative. You can do a refinance, mm -hmm. right? So what you could do is you could put your kids on the title of the house now, and then in 12 months, you can go and do a cash-out refinance remove the parents, and now the kids own the house fully, you know what else you get around? Wow, that's really intelligent. Go ahead, tell me. <laughs> you get around transfer taxes. Wow. Because New Jersey, the seller pays the transfer tax. If there's a refinance, there's no transfer tax that gets paid. That is. Because you're not selling the house. And this is all legit, and it's all really something that you can obtain. I want our audience to know this is realistic. This is not fake. This is not illegal. This is legal because they have laws and regulations within this industry that allow for this. These products are the different types of lending and different types. So they don't. Some some um, some of my audience not saying they don't know, but if we don't know, I didn't know that some of the lending is technically their products. These are your products that you bring to the table. Not all mortgage people are as creative yes. as each other. You know, for me, like I've been doing this for a long time. I mm -hmm. have my own underwriter and he's been doing this for 30 years. And I would pick his brain and say, well, how do I do this? Because a lot of people never ask how. Right. Right. The how is very important because that teaches you how to do something. Right. Well, you can't do this. Well, why? So how do I do this? Yes. Okay, well, that's the things that I've learned is by figuring those things out and asking those questions and saying, hey, how does this product work? Because a lot of mortgage guys will go out and they'll sell a product, right? Like say like a 203K, right? A 203K is a renovation loan that allows you to be able to roll in the construction and buy a property and as is condition. Like if you've ever seen one that says as is or, yes. you know, cash only, you can buy those as an, a primary with a, a renovation loan. But a lot of mortgage guys go out and sell it, but don't ever understand like the mechanics of it. Okay. And the mechanics of it, remember I was a mechanic. Yes, I remember. The mechanics of it are very important because if you know how to do something, mm -hmm. then you could figure it out. Like my, when I have a, a, a pre-approval uh, conversation, I ask a lot of questions because I want to figure out how am I going to help you? How am I going to help you get what you want? Right? Do I have access to a co-borrower? Do I have funds that I can borrow right, from? Right. Do you have a 401k that you can take a loan on? I had somebody that came to me who was originally going to Wells Fargo, 
And they wound up telling him that he was going to do a hardship withdrawal on his, uh, his retirement fund. Well, they whack you for 10% plus what you get on the taxes. Okay. Well, I said, well, why don't you borrow out of that? He never knew that. Mm-hmm. He wound up borrowing out of his 401k, no penalties. And the interest that he paid, he paid back to himself. Okay. And those are things that people don't understand. And a lot of loan officers don't ask enough questions. Mm-hmm. And this is why. They don't want to bother people or they don't want to seem intrusive. And I tell people, think of me like your therapist or your attorney because this way I can help you. Mm-hmm. If I have the information, I can figure out how to make something work. Okay. And that's what a lot of people don't do. I have one more question. Um, what are the benefits? A lot of time people say, oh, I could just go get my mortgage from uh, my bank. Like I bank at Wells Fargo. They'll give me a mortgage. What are the benefits of coming to um a mortgage broker rather than going to a great question. Okay. So I am actually both a banker Mm -hmm. and a broker. Okay. Right. So a banker means we are a direct lender, right? So I'm with American financial. So we lend our own money. We close the loan and then we wind up selling off the servicing to somebody else. Got it. All that means is you're just writing your check to somebody else. Okay. Right. If you go to a bank, like say like a Wells Fargo or a chase, they tend to be very conservative. Okay. Because they have a much smaller box than I do. Okay. Right. So they don't like as much risk as as we as we do. Right. On top of that, just because you have your checking account there, don't think that they're not going to have to verify your taxes, your W-2s, your pay stubs, your driver's license, send it out to underwriting, get letters of explanation, get inquiries on your credit report. So none of that that you bank there doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. You're just a number to them. Right, right. I mean, look at all the banks that are doing things that that people that are not nice, like Wells Fargo did how long ago. They took advantage of how many different people, mm-hmm. you know? And when a lot of these banks offer special programs, it's because they got slapped on the wrist by the government. Got it. You know, like there's a couple of banks that were offering special programs. It, it's be, because they did bad things, so they had to make up for it too. Mm. So me, I don't want to do business with somebody that starts out like that to begin with. Right. I have another question. I know I said the last question, but I do have one more. <laughs> I love talking to you. So um, one time we spoke, we talked about the hit of the credit. So you know how they tell us to shop around for mortgages, shop around for different lenders. You Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. By, by the way, I love talking to you, and these are great questions. <laughs> so what I always tell people is this, right? If you have a lender that you connect with, that you trust, yeah. First off, there's no need to go shopping around. Mm -hmm. Most of us all have the same stuff as far as rates go. But if you are going to have your credit run, a credit inquiry from us is worth only zero to seven points. Wow. Right. So people think that they're going to lose 50 points by me pulling their credit. They're not. Do you want to know where you get those 50-point hits? When you go car shopping. Because what happens is they send it out to 10 different banks, and each bank is an individual hit. I can see when somebody was shopping for a car – I see 20 inquiries and I'm like, oh, you were car shopping. That's why you have a 620 now because of that, not because of me, mm-hmm. right? And if you do wind up having a lender run your credit, you can go shopping to another lender within 30 days, have them run your credit, and it's not going to affect you because the first one that was pulled is the one that affects you for the zero to seven points. Nice. And honestly, if you're worried about zero to seven points on your credit, you probably have other things that we need to look at and fix first. Okay. Because a lot of people think that, oh, you know, I, I need to worry about an inquiry. And, you know, the other thing is if you're scared, don't be, right? Have a conversation with somebody because we can create a plan, right? I took somebody from a 580 to a 640 
in a matter of a couple of different moves in 30 days. Wow. Credit's fixable, right? Income is not. So that's the first thing I would start with is income. Like, or what's your, what's your income look like? Because that's what we base it on. Your debt to income ratio or DTI. Your credit, we can usually fix. Maybe we could pay a credit card down. Maybe you can, and, and here's another thing. People go and pay collections off. They never ask for a deletion. Oh. If you call the debt collector, because what happens is they're sold, right? So a lot of these credit repair companies, what they do is they go back through the debt collector's re- records to see what their licensing looks like and how the that debt was sold. That's where they wind up getting it removed. But if you do need to do that, Call them up and say, hey, by the way, can I get this? Uh, can I get a deletion? Right. People don't ask. Mm-hmm. If you don't ask, you won't get. Right. Right. I love that. If you want to know more about um, equity strategy um, and everything that Matthew Victoria shared with us today, he will be at the 2023 Mission Conference speaking on Saturday, July 8th. The conference is July 7th and 8th. You need to register, register, register as soon as possible. Seats are limited. And thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I really appreciate it. I will make sure that you get his information. If you need his information, please email me at cbrunson at morphmentoring.com.